0: Hello and good morning everyone, Only Positivity here, I have my coffee with me, ready to explore this new phase of life with you all. So over the past few years, I have gained a whole new perspective on life and I've realized that life is too short to not be enjoying yourself while doing great things. So come along with me as I explore this new lens through fitness, photography, reading, traveling, cannabis, and much more. Looking forward to the journey guys, and remember, Only Positivity. Hello and good morning everyone, Only Positivity here, I have my coffee with me, ready to kick off podcast number 27 on this playlist that I'm looking to launch called Elevated Thoughts. Now before diving into the book, uh, let's just start with a level set. So you know, as I endeavor upon pursuing knowledge and life experience in this next phase of life through fitness, photography, traveling, cannabis, much more, one habit that I've really formed is reading. So this podcast essentially goes through um, some of the books I've been reading as of late, taking those lessons learned, and applying them to experiences in my life. So we do have a new book for today, but um, let's go ahead and start with a story. And, you know, not not a, uh, a really funny story today, but just more of an interesting experience. So, um, you know, this story actually took place uh, when I was on the Amtrak so I was headed from uh, Chicago to Kansas City to visit some people and um, you know back when I was you know pinching pennies i guess you know i was a little bit more cost effective in the way i did things i would uh i would take the amtrak if uh flights were too expensive um or if i didn't want to drive out there right so um the amtrak from from chicago to kansas city is about seven and a half hours give or take um and you go through some some really scenic views uh and i I actually don't mind it right you get some good movies the chairs on the amtrak are really really comfortable so no worries so I get on I get on uh, the Amtrak and I'm headed uh, towards Kansas City. And after a few stops, right, uh, this guy gets on and it's always assigned seating on the Amtrak. So this guy gets on, uh, Middle Eastern guy, right? So I was in my early 20s at the time. This guy, I would say, was probably in his mid 40s. So um, Middle Eastern guy, right? Little guy. Um, has a beard, black, really jet black hair. Um, He sits down, he's like, hello bro, how's it going? Like one of, you know, one of those type of guys, um, if that paints a clear picture for you. So he's sitting next to me, Um, we're not talking, I'm watching a movie for the first few hours, you know, and so as nightfall hits, um, I, you know, the the bright screen of my laptop is, is just hurting my eyes, so I close up my laptop, put it in my backpack, and I'm just sitting, listening to some music at this point. Um, apologies, my voice just cracked. So um, I'm sitting here listening to some music. And, you know, naturally, me and this guy start striking up conversation. You know, I ask him my name, where I'm from, what I do for a living. You know, just some of my background. I, I like conversing with new people, so I was all about it. Um, he's telling me his story and things like that. And, you know, what I find out about him is that, so he's a trucker, right? So what he, what he did was, he, he's based out of Kansas City. But he drove from Kansas City to Chicago to drop off a load, um, and then the company paid for him to take the Amtrak back. So I found out a little bit more about you know the rules and regulations regarding truckers. Um, I find out like he's got a log, right? It's a an automated log on his phone where um, he's only allowed to do ten hour stretches max. So after ten hours, um, the the system's gonna give him a notification like, hey man, like you're done for today. Like you got to stop take some rest, pick up uh, tomorrow. So that was interesting. I didn't know that, right? Because you think, you know, truckers just take a break when they're tired. Um, And there's probably a lot of danger with trucking, you know, being tired at the wheel, sitting down for 10 hours straight um, is probably not so good for the human body. Um, But anyway, so it turns out um, this guy lives alone in Kansas City and with with a roommate and um, actually um, no wife, no kids. Uh, He came from Istanbul and he made his way through like Europe, uh, went to Italy, went to Spain, France, England um, before he came to the United States. Uh, which is really interesting you know and the guy just didn't have a a good experience um, in Istanbul right I think um, there was something going on there I don't remember the exact specifics but he said he lived in a refugee camp for many years because of some sort of internal conflict that was going on um, in the Middle East and I was like wow you know it was very eye-opening very humbling um, because at the time, right, and I talk about this a lot in my podcast, you're thinking about your day-to-day, right? I'm thinking about my day-to-day and the problems I experience. And if you don't see too much else, it's, you probably think your problems are the worst, right? And sometimes it's hard for us to pull ourselves back and think about, you know, where you fit in in the world. This guy's life was on the line at times, right? In this refugee camp. Um, he said he saw, you know, uh, officers beating other, uh, Camp members and things like that, and it was a very tra- traumatizing experience for him. It seemed. Um, and flash forward, you know, he's a trucker in the United States, uh, living in Kansas City in like a two-bedroom apartment, and he's he's happy, right? The guy was um, smiling the whole time I was talking to him, and uh, he was joking around, laughing. We got into religious conversations, right? He was uh, he was of the Islamic faith, um, and he was just telling me more about that, and we got into like some really deep discussions. Um, and even when I got there, he was like, uh, my ride was late, right? So he's like, hey, man, are you sure you don't want to like, you can come over, we can like have some dinner, um, anything like that. And I was like, you know what, you're a nice guy. Um, you know, I could take that as like a creepy comment, I guess. But it seemed like he just, you know, was like, hey, man, this is a young guy. Uh, maybe he's hungry, let me feed him, things like that. And, you know, I, it was a genuinely memorable experience. And this happened like six, seven years ago. And I still remember it pr- pretty vividly today. So, you know. A couple of notes, right? Like you can always have a great experience if you just open yourself up to it, right? I could have not spoken to this guy um, for seven and a half hours, but we decided to have a touch point um, and I found out a little bit more about him, which was really, really nice um, and a very humbling experience um, given that he came from like a a refugee camp and you know I'm sitting in an affluent suburb in Chicago thinking my problems are the biggest, right? So not to say that I I actually thought that, but right, you get in the weeds with your day-to-day and you think about those things. So, you know, just another story as to why I love traveling, why I love connecting with people, and why I'm doing, like, this podcast, right? Because it's just fun to to hear people's thoughts um, and their journeys as well. So, you know, that's, that's the story uh, for today. Um, and uh, going back to the book, right, coming back to the book, so we hopped off of the crime book. By Big Idea Simply Explained. But you know, one thing I really did enjoy was uh, the way the authors put together the book. And it was like a snapshot of a lot of different points throughout crime history um, and criminals and the different types of criminals. And I really liked that. You know, there was a, a quick snippet. So I decided to go ahead and purchase another book in that series called The History Book. Right? So last was a crime book and today's The History Book. It goes through a lot of different eras, similar to crime. But um, I think history is very fascinating, right? Um, The book says that um, you know we're talking about we're going to talk about the Paleolithic periods today, but there's definitely different eras and technology, climate, you know, politics that goes with the different eras, um, and they progress over time. But you know what we do see is a lot of similar themes and. You know the themes i'm seeing with all the different eras and we'll go through it it seems like you know a leader comes to light um through a lot of turmoil right um provide some prosperity a brief moment of light uh, in a dark era Um, but you know this person he or she will govern for a short or a long time but eventually some corruption some revolution greed violence inner turmoil they all will affect a population until this bubble explodes and then it almost starts all over again, right? But the things that change are the technology. Um, the population becomes more civilized, and more um, intelligent. Uh, you know, further resources are available to them. So that's what changed the population. But um, a lot of similar traits are are present amongst eras. And I thought that was the most interesting part of this book. So you know, today's topic we're going to jump right into it is um, human origins. Um, which, was a, which occurred about 200,000 years ago. And not to say we're talking about the first species, right? Um, that was millions and millions of years ago, but just the origins of humans themselves. So about 200,000 years ago to about 3500 BCE. So um, the book will tell you that the earliest humans originated in Africa alongside chimpanzees. And over time, they they developed um, they develop their way of life through creation of tools, languages, you know, beliefs, social customs, art, all that stuff. But you know, the first story the book will outline is called the first humans, and it takes place from about sixty thousand years ago through forty five thousand years ago, so many many centuries ago. So um, the first point is that Homo sapiens evolved in Africa around two hundred thousand years ago. And obviously we know since then, they've expanded all across the world, but there's many reasons for that. So like I said, we're not talking about the first humans or anything like that. Um, We're talking about the first Homo sapiens as well and their journey. Um, And obviously we evolved from Homo sapiens. So a lot of researchers believe that the earliest humans um, and their ability to adapt to different environments, especially coastal environments, really led to their spread Um, And specifically along the coast of Asia. So for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, you see human beings, homo sapiens, being resilient and able to survive. Okay, we see signs of um, early colonization in Australia 45,000 years ago. So the ability to be resilient, like I was saying, is a common trait of homo sapiens. So um, what's what's interesting around this time too, right? Is like there are other types of species, other types of human-like species out there. It wasn't just Homo sapiens. You know, there was Neanderthals, um, which was about two hundred fifty thousand years prior to um, human beings or Homo sapiens. Um, there was a, another species that the book outlines called uh, Denis, Denisovans or denosovans I don't know how to pronounce it, but they were um, they started in Russia or what is common day Russia and um, even in Southeast Asia, right? So Homo sapiens were not alone on this planet as, as they originated. So my thought was, you know, how crazy would it, would it have been to not only live alongside animals that, you know, you and I have never personally seen, like mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and things like that, but as well as other types of humans, right? Imagine, like, how confusing that was um, to a Homo sapien, you know, back in the day. But, um, you know, Homo sapiens were the only species that went on uh, to to colonize the world, right? And we don't know why that happened exactly. It's all speculation, right? All research, things like that. But another interesting point is that there was actually a land bridge that connected Russia and Alaska. And then when sea levels were low enough, the humans uh, or Homo sapiens could reach the Americas from the northeast. Now, if you think about how crazy that is. Like imagine if all the world was connected by land bridges, like think about how that would affect society today. Um, I'm sure, you know, global production, global transit would be very different. Um, The way we receive goods would be very different. Imagine just leisure, right? I'm sure there'd be thousands of people who would take a road trip around the whole world, myself included, right? Like I take a month off and just go drive around the world. Imagine being able to drive from like Chicago to Hong Kong without having to hop on a plane. It'll probably take you forever, right? But I'm sure people would do it. I would do it. So we come back to Neanderthals, um, and they all died out about 40,000 years ago. And like I said, you know, researchers believe that it was Homo sapiens and their ability to be resourceful that... Um, allowed them to survive the long haul, right? Adapting to their environments, uh, creating tools, um, new methods, uh, communities, things like that, that really allowed them to to thrive. So, you know, obviously, we're going to talk about the ice age and what they call the the last glacial maximum, um, and that could be a major reason as to why. You know, a lot of species died out, and you know it probably was, to be honest, um, extreme cold. A lot of a lot of things cannot survive an extreme cold, or even an extreme heat. So, um, one, one, one very interesting point that the book points out is like there's no real evidence of violence between any of the early uh, beings, right? Or the the Homo sapiens, or the Neanderthals, or the Denisovans. There's no signs of violence. Um, and that's interesting, right? Because my question was, how did they get along, right? Um, how did they how did they coexist, and and even resource pool, right? So another going deeper into that, right? They there are traces of DNA um, in of in of Denisovan and Neanderthal in modern humans, so even in present day humans. So that suggests that there was probably some interbreeding. But it could just mean there's similar traits, right? It doesn't necessarily directly coincide to that. But interesting, interesting topic. Um, you know, my thought with that is is that they all probably looked somewhat similar in figure, right? Maybe not exactly, but probably somewhat similar. Um, and if you think about it, imagine what, what a sex drive was like back, back in the day, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they probably didn't fully understand, like, how to channel a sexual urge or process those deeper emotions related to that. Um, And it might have, you know, it might have had a downstream effect on on the population and that could have led to some interbreeding between the different species, right? So, you know, zoning, honing in on Neanderthals for a second, you know, the book says um, they were great with stone tool making and they were good hunters, right? And we go back to the adaptation. It was Homo sapiens' ability to adapt that ultimately was attributed to their success. So essentially, like Homo sapiens would develop new tools, um, and and they would use resources um, at their disposal to survive. They would adapt to their environments. So you know, from from the earliest age, like we're talking about right now, all the way through modern day, you'll see the ambitions. Of human beings and their need to make things easier for themselves, right? And that goes all the way back to the survival instinct, and I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more in our next stories. Um, but they, what they would do is, you know, as time evolved, from the research suggests that they had social networks, um, and they would pool resources across large areas, and all of these things increase their chance of survival, right? And, you know, to me, that's a literal meaning of it takes a village, right? In times of extreme climate change um, and scarce resources, you know, one group cannot survive alone without the help of others, you know? So that we'll wrap that up. Um, the, we'll wrap that up, the first humans, right? Um, and some interesting points, but we'll move on to, to Paleolithic culture around 40,000 years ago. And ultimately, Paleolithic culture, you know, Paleolithic is a a mouthful. But that just ultimately means the Stone Age, okay? So the first two items I mentioned are the Altamira Cave Complex. um, And that's near Santander uh, on the northern coast of Spain. And, you know, one thing, you know, just showing my ignorance a little bit, right? I'm a huge soccer fan. So La Liga, right, in the soccer league in in Spain is called um, La Liga Santander, which is... um, coincides to a region in Spain, which, you know, I had no idea. So, um, side note there. Anyway, so we're talking about the Altamira cave complex. So, uh, this cave complex is about a thousand feet, right? Um, and it, it really illustrates some good examples of the stone age. And that's what they call paleolithic art, right? So like cave art. So the first cave, uh, you know, when it was discovered, People thought, you know, archaeologists thought it was fake, and it took um, it took a lot of years for that to be accepted as, like, an authentic painting or the original, right? Now, I don't know what techniques they could possibly use to authenticate a cave painting, um, and I got to dive into that a little bit more. I got to do some research, but that's a different topic. Like, did they all, like, you know, go stand up next to the painting and go, hmm, this seems real, or, you know, hmm. This seems fake. I'm not sure. Like You know what I mean? I don't know what tools they could possibly use. I'm sure they have very sophisticated um, like rules and uh, equipment to, to decipher these things. I just don't know them. So anyway, the book says that they were probably created about 22,000 years ago. Um, again, I would love to see how they estimate that time. I'm sure they estimate it by other artifacts that they found. Um, and maybe like put together a storyline. But twenty-two thousand years ago is a long time none of us were around um but anyway let's talk about the cave paintings themselves so there's like images of bison um there's representations of other animals uh, and since they're painted on like unlevel rock in the caves it's said that they give them like a three-dimensional nature and that's super trippy right and i wonder if they when they painted those originally would they have known that this was the purpose behind it like we're going to create a 3d image that kind of looks like a bison as well um, and that goes to show some deeper cognitive ability um, even for the earliest of humans so um, really interesting points there um, and you know we go to other countries right cave art paleolithic art can be found in france as well um, it contains not only animals but some handprints too and archaeologists again they they differ on their opinions um as to why people maybe created this art right it could be they just like the aesthetics of the images and they appreciated it Um, it could be a way of communicating hunting information um and it could be linked to like the views of even the paleolithic people um you know there's still hunting tribes all over the world who like worship animals and have these um, animistic beliefs with rituals associated to hunts Harvest, you know, um, believing in animals, nature, plants, and believing they all have spirits. You know, things like that today still exist. So I'm sure it was around back then, too. Um, and you know, a lot of societies today, they'll attempt to communicate with these spirits to, like, help them for a hunt or in times of need for harvest or rain, things like that, right? So, like, if you if you think about it, if we step back for a second and think about a society um, of Homo sapiens, the earliest Homo sapiens, whose whole entire population is riding um on you know animal resources right having animals around and hunting they probably put great weights um on these types of rituals right let's say they prayed um one day and the next day they they were able to find a mammoth and they were able to like bring down this mammoth and they were able to eat for weeks now that's some positive reinforcement for you right like they're gonna do it again um, and then keep doing again and they're gonna ultimately believe That if they do these sacrifices or if they do this prayer, the animals are going to come, the hunting is going to come easier. So anyway, um, just my rhetoric on that a little bit. But um, it does seem like they might have some capacity to reason things through. So anyway, um, some other archaeologists believe that a lot of these caves uh, could have been used for burials because they found some skeletons and things in there. Um, so a lot of a lot of these skeletons were buried with uh jewelry made from like shelves, um, and, and cave, you know, remnants and things like that. And you know, we saw these with uh, Egyptians too, right? In in pyramids. Um, they would bury their valuable items with them to take in the afterlife. So, you know, we see some notion of an afterlife here, right? um they find spears made from like mammoth ivory like their tusks right um, and this special treatment during death could su- su- suggest some sort of like hierarchy um, and like status distinctions amongst people right like we have the hunters, the gatherers, the leader of the tribe, things like that. Um, you know most of these artifacts are found in France and Spain and that's what the book says but you know, they could also be just marking their territory, right? Like they're, they're painting in caves and they're like, hey, look, this is my area, back off. Don't, don't be coming in here. So, um, you know, if you think about the present day, right? Bring, bring that forward uh, to modern day. Look at football teams, right? They use different symbols. Um, each state has its own symbol. Um, that's, that's a form of it, right? Like we have our own symbols for the way we represent things and whatnot. So um, a little bit of Paleolithic uh, themes in there. So we we talk about the Ice Age a little bit, right? So there's no, like, monuments built or there's no sort of, um, I don't know, there's no no monument to suggest that uh, they they lived anywhere or they had any real shelter. And they most likely just moved around a whole bunch um, and they probably followed herds of animals for their hunting. Um, I don't know. They probably migrated with the seasons too, most likely. But anyway... So we go forward and archaeologists, they, they also suggest that um, tribes might have hunted together when resources were plentiful, right? So like, let's say one, um, one tribe is the one that chases the animal and another is waiting, you know, across the plain while we funnel this animal um, right towards that other tribe, right? The only way for survival during harsh climate is to work together and you know talk about hunting technology evolving over time you know hunter gatherers probably spent so much time perfecting their craft um and a significant amount of time on their hunting tools because at that point right it was ultimately life or death if they couldn't catch any food so um some of the first technologies uh were you know stone tips right like spearheads um, and they're sharp enough to penetrate if you know they, they threw it at a target um, the weapons were decorated with maybe drawings of the animal they were trying to hunt right in hopes that you know the spirit would help them land that animal um, and feed their families um, but you know you you see needles and and, and bone marrow and bone awls being found by archaeologists and that that also suggests that hunter-gatherers could have um, been using animal skins to to make warm clothes you know and you know my whole thought with that is right it's cool right it's all good But my whole thing was like, how do they figure out that they need to eat, right? Were they like, were they sitting there and they were saying, okay, like, were they sitting there one day and did they ever say, oh, I'm hungry, you know, like, um, I'm going to go eat that thing. Or was it, what signified that it was okay to eat an animal back in the the day? Did they know they had to skin it and remove the hair or did they eat the hair of the animal too? Like, the modern human um, can't digest hair or... Did they just walk up and maybe, like, you know, take a bite out of, like, a a mammoth and just, you know, just straight up eat it? And, you know, things like that. How did they figure that things out? Like, maybe years and years of trial and error? Um, You know, how was the first fire created? Like, were they sitting around, like, rubbing two sticks together the whole time? Or... Did like lightning strike a field and you know maybe they brought a log over and kept the fire going uh, you know a lot of questions a lot of questions you know a lot of those day-to-day interactions like we'll never have insight into but you know we're glad they made those strides because um, it definitely benefits us today right so we'll wrap that up you know Paleolithic culture the Stone Age and um, we'll move on to to the big freeze right the ice age and that's really interesting to me because there's a totally different animal set um, around there and majority of them died off uh, coming into the present day. So um, we talk about the big freeze, right? 21,000 BCE. So um, one thing, again, Homo sapiens being resilient, we really evolved during the Ice Age. Um, lived, survived together through extreme weather fluctuations from being you know severely cold all the way through normal climate. So let's talk about what the big freeze actually was. So the big freeze was a period of um extreme cold as we as you can tell by the name Um, and it's known as the last glacial maximum which we talked about earlier so you know people living in these regions they 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 either died out or they retreated south um, where it's warmer a lot of animals died out Um, a lot of seawater froze and sea levels dropped you know significantly and you know if you watch if you watch Our Planets um, with my boy David Attenborough, um, I love David Attenborough man. He narrates so well. He just puts me at ease. I get sleepy just listening to him talk. But um, if you watch Our Planet or like a Planet Earth type documentary, like you're gonna know, you're gonna see that even in Arctic landscapes, the water is gonna melt during the summer, and that changes the landscape, right? Sea levels rise. Um, so. Coming back to the book, you know, there's a land bridge called the Continental Shelf. um, Beringia, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, And it connected North America and Asia. And, you know, the book says that is the route by which the first humans arrived in the Americas, which is insane. Um, Because we'll never see that, right? The tectonic plates have shifted. There's seven continents now. So anyway... Naturally, right, after the Big Freeze, the temperature comes up and sea level sea levels rise. And that made this whole land bridge disappear entirely, right? So people who had migrated over to um, Asia from the Americas or vice versa were now stuck there. So Japan turns into an island as well as England at that time. And that isolates, you know, a lot of human groups. Um, and this could be a huge factor and probably is um, a huge factor as to why humans ended up settling the way they did, right? Um, Like, how did people end up on an island like Japan or England? They probably moved there 100,000s of years ago in search for some food or uh, whatever, right? Just to start new. And the ice melted, and then there was no more land for them to come back, um, and it was never going to get that cold again. So um, keeping on with the Ice Age, a lot of animals went extinct during that time as well. And one of them was the mammoth right? So the the mammoth during the ice age had a lot of open like glacial grassland, right? Not a lot of trees. But ultimately, when when, uh, the melt happened, those glacial plains were replaced by forests. And in those forests, um, combined with increased human hunting, and that drove a lot of species to extinction, right? We know mammoths weren't fast. Um, They were big, um, and they were a little bit clunky. So may be easy to take down um, with persistence like i said mammoths aren't nimble um, they probably couldn't maneuver through trees or rugged landscapes in a forest and that probably made a mammoth more vulnerable to hunters um you know chugging through a forest and then ultimately you know after after this mammoth died all the ice age specific animals died out human diet's going to change too right to forest animals such as like deer um boar rabbits and they, they switched over to more aquatic food as well, like salmon, um, seals, shellfish. So, you know, a couple of gaps that the book doesn't really fill is, like, how a deer or a boar developed. And I'll probably have to read more on anthropology and stuff to get caught up on that. But, like, the landscape goes from being glacial grasslands to forests. And then all of a sudden, do, do deer just pop up? Do boar just come to light you know like or the evolutions of like ice age animals anyway you know that's some food for thought but we talk about adaptation again um a lot of homo sapien groups started to manipulate their environments they started you know burning vegetation down cutting down trees making way for like their preferred plants the plants they knew that were going to sustain them um they start to learn how to plant their and sow their own seeds and control certain animals so you see the development of agriculture Um, You see early signs of modernization and um, the human need to have like continuity. Um, And obviously, right, like this behavior is going to have an impact on the environment. It goes from being open hunter-gatherer to more of a controlled agricultural environment. So, you know, that wraps up my points for today. But, you know, the main thing we talk about, and I've heard Joe Rogan talk about this too, is automation, right? And, you know, we see automation, how people say like, oh, that's going to get rid of our jobs and stuff like that. But automation has been going on for for thousands of years you know people are um finding leaner and meaner ways to do things like streamlining farming streamlining technology right like even today like talk about today like i get approached so much uh so many times for like schemes on hey man do you want financial freedom like do you want financial freedom um and you know automating your income is a big thing and you know i believe in it right and so like the whole point of it is like, so you don't have to rent out your time, you don't have to individually contribute um, to a company or rent out your time to a company, um, as opposed to um, setting up an income stream and then just collecting money, right? But we can see this relate all the way back to the earliest human beings and their need for survival, their need for safety um, and things like that. So. Um, that wraps up. That wraps up today. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Um, I know I'm going through some more dense material, but, uh, I'm hoping, to, I'm hoping to make it a little bit more fun. Um, like I said, I, I grew up like learning about these things, but I never enjoyed it. So now I'm going back through it and I'm enjoying it and I hope you guys are too. But, you know, like I said, feel free to leave me any feedback and remember only positivity. Thanks guys.